Let's look at John chapter 1, uh, 14. I'm going to read verse 14 first, uh, and then we'll, we'll continue on. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, when you look at really how he kicks this off, and the word became flesh, uh, few statements in scripture are as profound as the word became flesh. These four words express that in the, carna- in the incarnation, God took on humanity. The creator entered his creation. How would God become a man? Well, some have suggested he uh, came to dwell in a man, but he didn't himself become a man. Others have said Jesus just appeared like a man because it's impossible uh, for God who is spirit to take on bodily form. Still others have suggested God simply chose a man and made him his son. But that doesn't match up to what's being said, to what John has been talking about, to what scripture speaks to when when it talks about this. What we see from scripture is that in a small manger in Bethlehem, the eternal son of God became a man. See, we can hold this truth called the incarnation even if we can't fully comprehend all that it means. We can affirm that Jesus has always existed and there was a definite, and and still that there was a definite point in human history when he was born as a baby. See, Jesus throughout scripture, we see it. Jesus is both fully human and fully God. Okay? Anyone who denies his full deity or his full humanity is a false teacher, according to 1 John 4.12. And, and we see many different religious uh, groups, different religions that have, had have, broken, have broken off because of this, this whole idea, this whole uh, truth based upon the incarnation of our Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul affirms this reality in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Later, and, and in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says this as well, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He's talking about Jesus. Charles Wesley also captured the wonder of the incarnation uh, in his hymn. And as we're in this Christmas season, as we're approaching this, we're reminded of the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, blessed, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Why would the eternal God become a baby of this peasant woman? Why would he do that? See, if if, if Jesus didn't become a man with human nature, he couldn't have experienced temptation. See, the incarnation provides, uh, it, it provides us with an advocate before the Father's throne who knows exactly what we're going through and exactly how it feels. I forget that sometimes, that God became man so he could sympathize with our weakness, so he could assure us that victory over sin, over temptation is possible through his strength. See, you guys, I I want you to hear this really loud and clear this morning. Struggle doesn't disqualify you. 
okay? Uh, or when I struggle, when I'm feeling that temptation, when, I'm, when, that, when that heaviness is on my heart, in, in my emotions, uh, it, it just in my space, it, it doesn't mean that grace is done, that you've run out of grace. Uh, you guys, part of Jesus becoming human was to experience that struggle. And by him overcoming that struggle, you know that you can now through his strength. See, now you have a high priest who sympathizes with you. This is somewhere along the line, we just stopped uh, remembering this truth about Jesus. We stopped remembering that part of him coming was so that he could sympathize with our weakness. So he could sympathize with the temptations and the struggles that we're going through. Uh, you guys, like that, that's so important for you to see and to understand because one of the tools of the enemy is when I struggle, when I'm feeling temptation, um, I, I tend to what? I tend to back away from everybody. I, I tend to feel this isolation and I, t I tend to feel that even God is isolating himself from me. But in reality, part of what Jesus came to do uh, was to walk through those same struggles, those same temptations so that he could sympathize with you. Man, sometimes it's just like, does anybody care? Can anybody sympathize with what I'm going through? And I think a lot of you feel that way. I know I feel that way sometimes. And, and it's in those situations where I have to remember that part of Jesus coming to earth was so that he could meet you in that place. He wants to sympathize with you. Now you have an advocate to the Father at the throne of the Father who understands and knows what you're going through. He can relate to that. So when you pray to God, it's not some disconnected, hey, do you see, do you know, do you understand? You probably don't because you're God. No, because of Jesus coming to earth, he's able to relate to those emotions, those feelings, all those things that you're um, going through, he can relate to. And what's so beautiful about him coming to earth is that we see that there is victory found in him. There's victory. If Jesus didn't become a man, he couldn't be an example. You know, um, I remember uh, the phrase and, 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 and really it just kind of took off the, the WWJD. And, and everybody had that. At least I, I remember, man, this may date me a little bit. I think it was the late 90s or whatever, and I was in high school, and, and, uh, and I remember um, everybody had the WWJD bracelet, and it was all over the place. I remember I actually wore one on my ankle. Don't judge me. But um, I, I, we all had that, and, and, and what, what, what was it? What, what is WWJD? What would Jesus do? Now, it kind of took off and became its own thing, and I, I think it kind of lost its significance a little bit uh, because all kinds of people were wearing them. I'm like, man, they definitely don't care what Jesus would do, let me tell you. But at the heart of it is a great question, right? It's a great question, and because Jesus came to earth, it's something that we can find answers to. Right? When you go through situations, temptations, struggles, um, opposition, the question that I should be asking in those moments is, what would Jesus do? And because he came to earth, guess what? I can find answers to that. 
I can find answers based upon what he said, based upon what he did, because he became a man. See, just even in the gospel of John alone, we read that he was weary, he was thirsty. It says at one point he groaned from within, he openly wept, he bled. See, guys, we're gonna feel all those different things. And the other gospels also talk about his humanity uh, in different ways as well. But, but the beauty of that is we feel those same feelings. We've had those same things happen to us. And now I know by the authority of scripture, because Jesus became a man, that I can go to him and what he did and said can work for me and is in alignment with the father. Ultimately, if Jesus didn't become a man though, he couldn't have died. See, we can't consider the incarnation without the crucifixion. Like you can't just think about one without the other. The incarnation is amazing because God became man so he could die for our sins. Just think about that. Jesus's humanity was not in appearance. You know, sometimes we've asked friends or family, hey, can you just make an appearance at this event? Or, or could you just drive by? Uh, you know, one of the things uh, when COVID first kind of really took off was these drive-by birthday parties. And uh, I know we were a part of a few of those caravans and we drive by and wave and honk. And, and what you need to know is that when Jesus uh, came on the scene, it wasn't just his appearance. It wasn't a drive-by no, uh, he, he not only became man, but he also dwelt, it says, among people for 33 years. See, this word dwelt that we see uh, here in verse 14, it could be translated pitched his tent or to live in a tent. And that would remind anyone familiar with the Old Testament, uh, it would remind them of the tabernacle. See, the, the tabernacle was instituted by God as the place where he would dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. It was a tent that went before the children of Israel as, as they made their way to the promised land. And when uh, within the tabernacle, that, that was the most holy place when God came to meet man. And just as God came to meet man in the tabernacle, he came to meet man in the person of Jesus. See, worship for the Jews centered on the tabernacle and, and then in the temple. But once Jesus came, he became the center for worship. Only through him could man be brought to God. And, and you also, you couldn't think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament without being reminded of the glory of God. We read in, in, in verse 14 where it talks about the, the, the glory of God. It says, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth is what it says. And, and, and only through him could man be brought to God, we see. But, but, but as, as we're thinking about that moment when we interact with him and, and even that picture of the tabernacle, that tent, we cannot look at that without being reminded of his glory. As Israel marched through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, the glory of the Lord appearing like a cloud during the day and, and as fire at night went with them, leading the way, and it would regularly descend upon the tabernacle. In fact, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so when it's, we see this glory uh, in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord was the visible manifestation of the perfection and excellence of God. That's what it's talking about. But when Jesus came to earth, the glory of God was seen in his fullness. 
All those things were great, but Jesus was the fullness of that. There was his, there was his moral glory. What we mean by this is this was the radiance of his perfect life and character. See, Jesus was displaying God's holy nature and divine attributes uh, as he dealt with people, as, as, as we think about the, the truth, the love, the kindness, um, the, the compassion, the grace that, that, that he, and, and just the truthfulness that he operated within. They all pointed to this moral glory, displaying God's holy nature. And then there was also just the visible outshining of his glory. In, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, verses 1 and 2, um, it talks about Jesus taking three of his disciples, and it says this, and after Six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Man, that, that had to be incredible. That, that just had to be amazing. These three disciples were given a preview of the unveiled glory to be seen at Christ's return. The same, the same glory that, that literally is going to be the light for the new city, uh, for heaven, uh, the new Jerusalem. Like, like they were given a glimpse of that. And, and so the glory the disciples saw indicated to them that he was the son of God. Now, now, one of the things that I think is really important for us to understand is having faith was necessary to see the glory that was revealed by the sign. So one of the things that's, that, that, that stands out in the New Testament, and when you look at the Gospels uh, over and over again, you see all these demonstrations of Jesus that point to the power of God, uh, whether it's what he says or what he does, but we see what? Many don't respond. Many don't believe. And so when we are given uh, this visible, tangible expression of the glory of God, we have to respond by faith to that. The disciples saw that and it was united with faith, right? It was knit together with faith. But many people saw the glory of God displayed and they didn't act in faith towards it. And so what? They, they were disconnected from it. They were not a part of it. And so, so here's what's, what's kind of a scary thought. Many of us are, are, are actually having the opportunity to see God's glory tangibly being displayed in our midst, in our world, in our cities, and we're actually able to see it, but it's not being united with faith. I'm not responding by faith to that. I'm acknowledging it, I'm seeing it, but there's no faith response to it. You guys, that's the difference between receiving salvation and not receiving salvation. That's the difference between my life going in this direction or that direction. And we see a small number actually see the glory of God and respond in faith to it. We actually see the same thing when you think about the Old Testament and the nation of Israel, right? I mean, can you imagine like, like some of us think, oh my goodness, my phone is amazing. The GPS is incredible. I can't believe it can do that. Like they had a cloud and fire leading them. And you're like, oh wow, iPhone 12, my goodness. Serious? So, so that, they're seeing that. 
Like there's no way to just explain that away. There's no way to go, oh, I think Moses did something. Like, no, that's God. That's clearly God. And yet, what do they keep doing? What do they keep doing, you guys? And, and we always go, oh, if I was just there, I wouldn't have done that. But then Jesus comes on the scene. You're like, well, he's gonna do stuff and he did stuff. There's no way you can deny it. Nope, we still deny it. We still deny it. You guys, in our lives, and I would say it's even more dangerous now because we have technology that just dwarfs so many other countries in that. And we have so many things that we're blessed with. We can explain away all these things that actually point to the glory of God and we'll create excuses. We'll explain away for it. And what that actually does, it robs our faith from connecting to the glory of God, and we end up choosing something that is different than his best for us, and we're those people. We're those same people. You still have a choice. So, so we say, man, God, I want to see your glory. I want that to be revealed. Guys, he's doing that. Last week I talked about how sad it was that John the Baptist had to tell them that the light was already on. Guys, his glory is being displayed. The, the question is, am I responding by faith to that? That's what I want to challenge you with. The two attributes of Jesus we see uh, in, in the next um, phrase there, most closely associated and connected with salvation are grace and truth it talks about. See, the, the Savior was full of both, uh, full of grace, this undeserved kindness, but also completely honest and upright. And he never, uh, he never excused uh, excused away sin or approved of evil, um, be, you know, because what we see is grace without truth is what? It's deceitful, right? Uh, you can be as gracious as you want, but if you don't align it to truth, you're just deceived, okay? But truth without grace is what? It's just condemning. That's all it is. Uh, like, uh, well, I'm right. Okay, well, well without, without grace in that, you're just condemning. And, and so we see those two things uh, that, that Jesus is full of, and you think about just to be perfectly gracious and perfectly righteous at the same time, that is something only God can be. And scripture teaches that salvation is entirely by believing God's truth in the gospel, by this we receive his saving grace. So we respond to the truth and we receive his saving grace as a result of the truth. They go together. In Romans chapter three, verses 23 and 24, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's no salvation grace without believing the truth of the gospel message. Paul in Colossians 1.5 defined the gospel as the word of truth. And Jesus was the full expression of God's grace and truth, which was only partially revealed in the Old Testament. When you look at Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it, it says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Okay, so in other words, what was foreshadowed, uh, when you think of uh, prophecy, these different exercises that the nation of Israel would go through, these, these tangible pictures uh, that they would run through, they, all of those things were foreshadows to the substance, to the reality, uh, to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. All of that was realized in Jesus a vague belief in God apart from the truth about Jesus will not result in salvation as Jesus himself warned in, in John chapter eight, uh, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Guys, we can't just say, oh, I believe in God. You have to understand and know and believe in Jesus Christ. Like you have to know what that means in order to receive. In the next verses here, in, in verse 15 through, verses 15 through 18, it says this. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So it kind of kicks off in verse 15. Again, uh, he's noting uh, John the Baptist's inferiority to Jesus in John's own words. See, Jesus is superior to John because he was before him is what John the Baptist is saying. Even though John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus, uh, John is saying that Jesus is the eternally existing God. So yeah, maybe you guys think six months. No, he's always existed. Uh, see, John was considered kind of uh, the last of these Old Testament prophets. And like those before him, his role was to prepare the people to meet the Messiah, to be ready for the Messiah. The only difference uh, for him was that he had the opportunity to actually look at Jesus physically and go, oh, there he is, follow him. He's the Messiah. But, but we look at uh, verse 16 uh, here and, and it says, there's, there's no other source of grace outside of Jesus where we can find a limitless supply. It literally says uh, grace upon grace, right? Um, and, and, and so it's this abundant grace through Jesus, this grace that once you feel like you've hit the end of it, there's more. There, there continues to be more. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, my grace is sufficient. Okay, so it's never gonna be insufficient. It's never not gonna be enough. We see in Ephesians chapter two, verse seven, where, where he says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. His grace is sufficient. There's always more. It's never ending. And then we see in verse 17, he contrasts the Old Testament period and the New Testament era. See, because of the Israelites' lack of faith and obedience, God gave them the law through Moses as a means of protection. See, it reflected uh, God's holy and righteous character. And, and that's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter seven, verse seven, he says this in relation to the law. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
And then in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, uh, he says this, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You know, sometimes we, we, we can speak um, so negatively about the law because we can say, oh, it was Old Testament. That was way back then. They had all these issues. They had all these problems. But in and of itself, you guys, God instituted the law through Moses uh, to protect the people. And in fact, it, it reflected his nature, his love for the people. But, but what we see is, is, is really at the heart of it, uh, the law, it won, it, it, it revealed their sinfulness, it revealed what was in them that was not of God, but the law ultimately revealed their, their, uh, their inability to keep God's righteous standards. In other words, the law revealed to them how they could never measure up to God's standards. They could never do it. So the law itself uh, exposed to the people their need for a savior, their need for grace. Okay, so the law, the great thing the law did was to reveal you can't do this on your own. In other words, um, the law pointed people to the reality that they are in need of a savior. And, and so the law, when we look at it, and, and what we look at with the idolatry of the law in the New Testament, the law was never designed uh, to be um, the thing that drew people unto itself. That was not the point of the law. The law was meant to point people to their need of the Savior. God would give grace through Jesus to those who violated that law. In Galatians 3, 13, uh, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. See, grace and truth, uh, once again, it, it, these, these two words are written here in relation to what Jesus brings onto the scene, but the law couldn't fulfill. And, 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 and so we see not only uh, did he once again bring this grace, but he came uh, with all of this truth. He said of himself, I am the truth, right? I'm the truth. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, guys, uh, Jesus came onto the scene full of this grace, full of this truth, and he was absolutely uh, honest and faithful in all his words, in all his works, as he demonstrated and modeled this. And as he is walking in truth, he didn't sacrifice grace, he fulfilled grace. Um, and, and he didn't um, sacrifice on truth, for grace, right? Because one of the things we see is although Jesus loved sinners, he did not love sin. He didn't love that. See, Jesus realized that the wages of sin is death, and so he died to pay the penalty of death that we deserved in order that he might show undeserved kindness to us. In him, God's salvation tr truth was fully revealed and accomplished. You want to talk about the difference there. Okay, so the, the, the law, once again, through Moses, it points to my need for a Savior. It points to the reality that I can't measure up. But through Jesus, we see uh, the fullness of truth, the fullness of grace, and we see a Lord and Savior who offers himself in our place and does for us what we could never do for ourselves and accomplishes salvation on our behalf. Verse 18 says, although he did appear to men in the Old Testament, 
invisible form. We, we, we see over and over again, it talks about uh, him appearing as an angel or as a man. Those appearances did not reveal what God is really like. They were just temporary uh, appearances by which uh, he chose to speak to his people. But Jesus is God's only begotten son, it says. There's, there's no other son like him. In Jesus, the father is revealed in a way, in a depth previously unknown. It is through Jesus Christ that God is revealed. In Colossians chapter 115, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And when we look at this word revealed, the word revealed carries the idea that the whole story has now been told. Okay, so Jesus came to share the whole story of God and his perfect plan of redemption. That's what Jesus came to tell. See, Jesus is himself the explanation of God. He answers the question, what is God like? He was the one with God, equal to God. Uh, when men saw Jesus, they saw God. When Jesus spoke, they heard God speak. They felt God's love and tenderness. Through Jesus, God's thoughts and attitudes towards mankind have been fully declared through Jesus Christ. In John uh, chapter 14, verses seven through nine, uh, it says this, Jesus is talking, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Guys, that's the truth that Jesus is delivering to his disciples. See, the first 18 verses of John that we've gone through, they remind us that the promises beginning in the book of Genesis and continuing through the entire Old Testament are finally realized in Jesus. He's the promised Messiah. He's the answer to our need for a savior. See, only through Jesus could that great gulf between us being undeserving Sinful. There's no way to, to bridge that gulf, but, but because of Jesus coming and fulfilling what we could never fulfill, he bridges that, he meets us there, he creates a way. And so what we see is Jesus coming in and of itself, it's a rescue mission. Jesus, like Jesus coming to earth is a rescue mission. Uh, the gospel is, 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 is a promise that Jesus kept. He's the fulfillment of that promise. When you, when you think about the grace, uh, and, and, and we talk about this, this gospel, this message of grace, Jesus is the fulfillment of that, of that grace, over and over and over again, right? Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's what Jesus brings to the, the table. And so here's, here's the, the thing, here's the fork in the road. If God was willing to send his son to be born as a man and to die as a criminal for you, do you think he'll ever withhold grace from you? I want you to just think about it. 
to where he would love you and me so much that he would allow his one and only son, uh, his unique one and only son, it says there, uh, he would allow him to go and, and, and to go through all of these, these horrific things um, and, and, and to walk through this just so he could sympathize with you and me, uh, but then ultimately so that he could die for you and for me so that he could be declared by these people as a criminal and then be hung on the cross for you and for me just so he could deliver grace and you're sitting there throwing a pity party going, he's given up on me? How in the world can you live like that if you know the gospel? He loves you so much. Why do you think John is like, I need to point him to the Messiah, point him to this Messiah. Why do you think John the Baptist who had incredible influence is like, he must increase, I must decrease. Because that's where salvation is. Guys, that's where grace is. Uh, That's where it meets you in your time of need. It comes through Jesus. He is the fulfillment. And so this all comes back. Every single sermon in the book of John is gonna come back to what are you gonna do about Jesus? What is, your gonna, what is your belief gonna be about Jesus? And as we've talked about glory here, I wanna just, I just wanna point this out because uh, we, we've talked about God's glory and, and Jesus being that. You guys, ultimately, throughout Jesus's life, he reflected the glory of the Father. Now, I'm called to follow Jesus. I'm called to imitate him. And so what you and I have a decision to make about is this. When I get up and look in the mirror, and sometimes it's a better situation than others, I have a choice. Who am I going to glorify today? Who and what am I going to glorify today? When my kids look at me as a dad, who and what am I going to glorify today? When my wife looks at me, who am I going to glorify today? When I go to work with my coworkers, uh, with my employees, who am I going to glorify today? And, and, and just as, as, as words can seem so empty and, 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 and we can struggle to believe in all that, you guys, just as I share with Box of Love at the very beginning of this, you guys, what is going to define who you really are is going to be what comes out of your life. And probably like now more than ever, it's not gonna be what comes out of your mouth or through your fingertips. It's gonna be the actions that come out of your life. Guys, I can tell my kids till I'm blue in the face that, that I wanna glorify God, that he's all that matters. But if I'm not modeling that with them, it doesn't matter. I can tell my wife all these things about God I want. If I'm not modeling, if I'm not loving, if I'm not extending the grace of Jesus into that marriage, it doesn't matter. I can tell you as a church all these things. Oh, I love you. Uh, I want God's will for the church, all that. But if I am unwilling to, through my actions, glorify him, it's empty. And you guys, he's not calling us to an empty faith. He didn't allow his one and only son to come and die on the cross for an empty faith. He was the fulfillment. And now you and I have an opportunity because of what he did to walk in that and to glorify him and to point back to an incredible creator. And you guys, that's what the world needs to see right now. It's not you that needs to be glorified. They need to see Jesus glorified in you. So let's make a decision. What am I going to do with Jesus in my life? And then what am I gonna do in sharing that message, that hope, that grace upon grace, grace stacked with more grace, how am I gonna deliver that?